the cross, the cross. I think we have a picture of a beautiful cross there. Uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I have a dream someday of having a gigantic cross on our property up here. Wouldn't that be great to have a beautiful cross up there? And you want to give about thirty or 40000 to that dream? We can make that happen uh, real, real soon. So it could be bigger than the McDonald's arches. That's my goal there, so uh, on that corner. You know, the cross is one of the most recognized symbols in the world. Uh, a lot of people probably don't, don't fully understand what it is about, but a lot of people would understand when you talk about the cross— that you're talking about Christianity, that it's something to do with Jesus Christ. People have some idea or understanding of that. About, uh, and if they have a little bit of knowledge, they would be able to tell you or articulate that the cross is, uh, that's where, where Jesus uh, paid the penalty for the sins of, of people. The question is, or a question tonight that we're going to try to answer is, uh, whose sins did Jesus pay the price for? We've been in a study, uh, we have been in a study the last several weeks on the doctrine of salvation, and doctrine always scares people, but that's the theology or the understanding of the second most important doctrine there is, and that's how do we know and how do we relate to God. And we've been doing a little contrast between uh, a, a really old historical theological movement, but one that's, that's become popular again called Calvinism, and just very quickly... The Calvinistic theology system was built on a, uh, uh, from a preacher, theologian, lawyer named John Calvin in the 1500s, and it's built on the acronym around the word TULIP. Uh, we, we, the, you have the T and the U and the L, and we're supposed to have an I and a P. That's TULIP. Uh, we are IP short there, aren't we? Uh, that's not my eyes. Uh, if you see... Uh, the, the, we look, we've already looked at the T, that's total depravity. The U we looked at two weeks ago, unconditional election, which is a really powerful, probably the mainstay of the belief that God just reached down and chooses people to be saved unconditionally. And the L is what we're going to look at tonight in the, uh, the tool acronym there. Uh, and that is, uh, that's the atonement. And the L in the Calvinism system stands for limited atonement. And I'll explain to you shortly uh, what that means. We're going to use a lot of different scriptures, so I hope you got something to take notes with. But we're going to start, if you, at one of our, our primary places will be 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. I want to thank Daniel Scoggins and Patrick Sexton for uh, their study help with, uh, with me. Uh, Andy Johnson and Perry Laster have also been a lot of help in the last few weeks, giving me some study insights. They've asked that I not tell who helps me until after the sermon so they won't be indicted on, any, uh, on, on anything. But this is a huge issue. This is a gigantic issue. It is a major league issue. Who did Jesus die for? Here's the first question. Did Jesus die only for a select few? Limited atonement means the death of Christ is limited in its scope. And you go, well, that's theological talk. That means Jesus didn't die for everybody. Very simply. 1 John 2, 2 
says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And we're going to leave that verse there, please, Brian. We're going to go back in a moment, and we're going to go through that verse in more detail. But the, the word atoning there, or, or we'll begin with he, he is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice. It's neat. Jesus is not only the high priest, he's the sacrifice. In Old Testament Judaism, the priest brought the sacrifice, the high priest on the day of atonement. But the priest wasn't the sacrifice. Here you have the high priest being the sacrifice. Do you get the significance of that? Uh, It's the preacher sacrificing himself for the cause. That's not going to happen here tonight, but that's exactly what happened with the cross. The word atoning there, uh, that is a huge theological word. I'm going to give you two English words that that uh, that define this, and these are big words, but they have good meaning. The first is propitiation. Let me spell that for you. P-R-O- P-I-A-T-I-O-N. It means to satisfy or appease. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he satisfied or he appeased the wrath of God on somebody's sin. Uh, One way of understanding this, if you were to go out tonight and you had a car wreck, we're going to say you weren't hurt at all, no one was hurt, but your car was damaged, the other person's car is damaged, uh, that situation is not made right until their car is paid for. Amen? Especially if it's your car that they hit, right? That, that satisfaction is not fulfilled until that payment is appeased. What Jesus Christ did on the cross is he appeased the wrath of God. The next big word that atone is expiate, uh, E-X-P-I-A-T-E. And it means to make amends for. When Jesus died on the cross, he extinguished the guilt of our sin. He incurred it on himself. Jesus Christ, fancy words, big words, important words. When Jesus died on the cross, he did everything that had to be done to appease God for for your sin. He paid the price. He was the penalty himself. He appeased the wrath of God. He took your sin and your guilt on himself. That's awesome, isn't it? No testament, the Jewish priest did this regularly. Uh, the sacrificial system was laborious. Again, the high priest, once a year, a day of atonement, it was a big deal. Jesus came once and died for all, ending the sacrificial system. That's awesome, isn't it? Now, the question is, who did he die for? The basic Calvinistic belief, and again, you're saying, well, why are we talking about this? This is being taught and promoted and pushed now more than any time in my lifetime. Believes in a limited atonement, that Jesus did not die for everybody. Uh, It's also called particular uh, uh, atonement, and that is a particular group of people that Jesus died for. Where does this come from? I'm going to give you two scripture verses where... Some of it comes from, one is Ephesians 5, 25. It says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, women, remember before that, it said for y'all to submit and bow down to us too. You remember that? I'm just teasing. It doesn't say bow. doesn't say bow. Just teasing. Love the church and as he gave himself up for her. Now, I've heard some uh, people say, 
that what that means there is that Jesus died for the church. He died for Christians only. He did not die for everybody. I'm going to answer that more in a moment. Hebrews 9.28. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of, you see that, many people, and he will appear a second time. Many people, and, and I've heard people who are who, people who I, I, I love and, and I have relations with say many shows there that he didn't die for everybody. He, he died for the elect. Now, why is this important? The, the, if this is correct, the ramifications are huge. If this is correct... The ramifications are gigantic. Folks, always remember this. Theology is important. What you believe is important because it has flesh. It, 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 it affects what you do. Ultimately, you do what you believe. And theology is important because it was never meant to be simply argued in a Bible study class, but it was meant to be lived out. Let me give you some ramifications of limited atonement. Again, I'm not trying to at all kick people who hold this view. I just believe it's radically wrong, and I believe you need to understand the ramifications. Here's the first one. We would have to be careful how we proclaim the gospel. Now, think about this with me. I didn't say we shouldn't proclaim it, but as a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, you can't get up and tell people, blanket way, Jesus died for you. I I couldn't do that, could I? I'd be giving you false hope, and I'd be telling you something that I believe the Bible said was not true. Wayne, we need to get the scissors out to our hymn book because we sing songs about Jesus' death and his blood covering all and to the highest mountain and to the lowest valley, and that's not true if it's limited. You cannot say Jesus died for all if he didn't die for, for everybody. Here's the second thing. Let's make it a little more personal. He certainly did not die for a lot of people you know and love. It would be ridiculous if you were a Calvinist to believe that everybody you loved and knew was saved and everybody else was not elect. Correct, Amendo? And so if you're putting putting flesh to this... You can't look at all your friends and all your family. Listen to me. You can't look at your kids. You can't look at your grandkids. And say, Jesus died for you. Because if you've got more than one or two, chances are he didn't die for all of them if this is correct. That makes it a little more personal, doesn't it? Let me give you a third thought. Maybe he didn't die for you. If Jesus didn't die for everybody, why are you so arrogant to think you're one? Now, I've never known a Calvinist who didn't believe they were chosen. (laughs) I understand that. (laughs) This is a predicament, amen? I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit. I heard of a predicament, and that's a a lawyer who practices uh, malpractice medical legal work, and he needs surgery. (laughs) It's a predicament. That's funny if you think about it. It's a predicament if Jesus didn't die for everybody. 
Ah, it's great to talk about it in a seminary, in a library, and to debate it. But let's put flesh on it. That, that means that Jesus Christ didn't die for everybody in this room. That's the odds. It means Jesus Christ didn't die for everybody you're going to see at Christmas. That's just the way to play out. The Bible tells us more are going to be lost and saved. And, and it means that Jesus Christ may or may not have died for you. That's pretty significant. But let me tell you this, folks. I, I believe, but Jesus did die for everybody. I believe this with all my heart. Now, this is not universalism. What is universalism? Universalism says that everybody will be saved. That someday you will drink tea in heaven with Jesus, Paul, Moses, and Hitler. <laughs> okay? Now, maybe Hitler got saved in the bunker before it was all said and done. Calvinists and non-Calvinists, I know, are not universalists. Universalism would be really a, a liberal view that everybody's going to be saved, that it doesn't matter how it all pans out. It's just going to all pan out. When we say Jesus died for everyone, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved. It means everyone can be saved. Gigantic difference. Here's something that's interesting. This idea of limited atonement was really not developed till 55 years after Calvin's death. Isn't that funny? Here's a quote, and I'm paraphrasing it, so I'll say a quote loosely. In Calvin, John Calvin's last will and testament, he says that he believed the blood of Jesus was shed for the human race. Calvin was not a good Calvinist at this point. Amen? Isn't that good? Way to go, Johnny boy. I like that. What happened to Calvin is what happens to a lot of people after the original leader or founder dies. His followers, sometimes they take it to a, another level. A lot of scholars believe they did this with Calvin's theology. Took it to a level that he never intended for it to go. How, what about this, though? Let's look at it biblically. 1 John 2, 2 again. This is a verse, I probably read this five times a week in my daily Bible readings. It says, he is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation. The, he's the one who paid the price for, for our sins. But look, not only for ours, but also the sins of the, read that last part, the whole world. That Greek word whole means all of it. Like, as soon as I get my first gallon of Bluebell, I'm going to eat all of it. That means licking it clean. <laughs> By the way, for Christmas, that'd be a great gift if you've got me on your Christmas list. Homemade vanilla. The word world literally means the sum total of persons living in the world. Did you get that? Jesus died for the whole world. He is the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. Now, you go back to, we're not going to look at it again, but you go back to that Ephesians where it says Jesus died for the church. That, that doesn't mean he didn't die for anybody else. I could say Jesus Christ died for me. That, I believe that is correct. That does not mean he didn't die for Jeremy, does it? I could tell you tonight, I believe with all my heart, Jesus died for First Baptist Church. That doesn't mean he didn't die for South Parkway. Now, Chris Witt's a really good friend of mine, and you can quote me on this. Maybe he didn't die for Chris, but he died for that church. I'm being funny. He wouldn't think so for right reasons. 
So to say he died for my church doesn't mean he didn't die for someone else's church. So I think that's a wrong understanding there. They're, they're starting backwards at that point. You can say he died for the church. You can say he died for First Baptist, but that doesn't mean he didn't die for the whole world. And, and in, in that verse I showed you in Hebrews where it says he died for many, to understand that, I want to go to Romans chapter 5, if you have your Bibles or on the screens, and we're going to walk through Romans 5, verse 15 through 19. Listen to what it says. This is important. Watch the words here. But the gift is not like the trespass. Salvation is not like sin. For if the many, you see that, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, if many people died because of the sin of Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus, overflow to the many? You got the many, the many, the many. The next verse, again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin, Adam. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many sins and brought justification, rightness with God. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 18, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for who? All men. Also, also the result of one act of righteousness, the cross, was justification that brings life for who? All men. In verse 19, for justice through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. And so also the obedience of the one man, many were made righteous. And you're going, what in the world? The many, the one, the many, the many, the many, the many. Folks, if you follow, read that when you get home. Many in the Greek language oftentimes is synonymous with all. The, the word many there, that Greek word, is not a limiter of, of a group. It's talking about a greater number. When he says that many have sinned, we know all have sinned, correct? And so when he's using that, and, and you see in the context, he goes from many to all in and out through that passage. Dr. A.T. Robertson, who was a wonderful Greek Bible scholar, said that there's without question that word many in Romans 5, and it would apply to that Hebrews passage, is synonymous with all men or everyone. You've got to, got to stick with the whole book. You've got to stick with the context. So don't let that many confuse you there. I want to share with you a quote from Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll. Many of you know who he is. He's a prolific writer and preacher. Listen to what Swindoll said. He said, limited atonement is nothing less than contrary to Scripture. I'm quoting him. He died for everybody. The gift of atonement is offered to all. It's available to everyone. It is for the whole world. Amen. Preach it, Chuck. And the ramifications for this are gigantic. Let me share with you some ramifications. Well, we're going to start, first of all, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 through 6. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. Verse 15, and he died for all. Who did he die for? 
all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do not any longer. He says Christ's love compels us. That means two things. It means the love of Christ and what Jesus has done and what, how we see people. It should propel us. In reaching people, we're going to see for Jesus. That word compel can also mean to channel something. It's the idea of, of, of a ship coming into harbor and a little tugboat coming out and guiding it safely uh, through the, the water so it can, it can make it to the harbor safely. It's the idea of that, that when we are attuned to Jesus Christ and we're connected to Him, His love keeps us on target. So many churches and Christians are playing games and we're, we're, people are going to hell all around us and we're arguing over carpet color. But the love of Christ and understanding about the atonement keeps us focused is what this is saying in verse 17 through 20. It says, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us, saved us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling who? The world to himself, not counting men's sin against him in verse 20. And he has committed us to this message of reconciliation. Let me give you three points. Everyone you see is someone Jesus died for. Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is a game changer. If limited atonement's true, then, then, then everyone you see, Jesus didn't die for everyone you saw. But I believe Jesus died for everyone. In verse 16 again in 2 Corinthians, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do no longer. I'm going to give you several verses. Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In John 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3 through 6, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for the testimony given in its proper time. Let, let me tell you something, guys. There isn't any ordinary people. Every person you see, God created that person. Every person you see, God loves and every person you look in their eyes, Jesus Christ died for them. That's a game changer. Every person that walks in this, this church is someone God created, God loves, and that Jesus died for. Every baby that's born, every person you see on the street. There's not white people or black people or green people or purple people. We're all people God loves and that Jesus died for. And if we saw people like that, think how that would change the game. Everyone we see is someone Jesus Christ died for. But let's, let's see, make it even more personal than that. Jesus died for everyone you know and love. <laughs> Jesus died for every person you know and love. In Hebrews 2, 9. But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. 
so that by the grace of God he might taste death for who? For everyone, anyone, for all people. Isn't it great tonight you can look in your husband's eyes, your wife's eyes, your kid's eyes, your grandparents' eyes, your parents' eyes, your friends' eyes, and every person, they may be rejecting Jesus tonight, but every person you see, Jesus Christ paid the price for their sins. Isn't that great? Every person that you love and know, Jesus died for. And I want to wrap it up by saying, he died for you. (laughs) Isn't that great? I think it was Spurgeon, I'm not sure who said this, when the Bible says the world, that means you. Isn't that good? I mean, it's, it's good to know. I don't mind telling you, you all have sinned. That means Wesley has sinned, right? But, but the all means Wesley, Jesus died for him too. Amen? See, I, Jesus died for me. That's a game changer when you live with that, isn't it? It's a game changer. Doesn't negate responsibility, but you don't have responsibility without that. 1977, Jimmy Carter was sworn into office as president. I was one year old then, so I don't remember any of this, obviously. But on his, I believe his second day in office, maybe the first day after he was uh, inaugurated, he basically, and I'm summing this up, by executive order pardoned every American who had skipped the country and had not served during the Vietnam War. How many of you remember that? A lot of people during the Vietnam War didn't want to get drafted. When they got drafted, they went to Canada, went to other places. By executive order, here's what he said. You're pardoned. You're forgiven. You can come back home to your mom, your dad, your your wife, your kids, your family, your friends, to your city. You will not be prosecuted. You are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. That was good for everybody. The strange thing is, is that a lot of them didn't come home. In fact, they say that a number of of men who left the country during that time died in Canada and other places, never came back to their, 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 their home of origin. But that doesn't negate the offer. And that was a very costly pardon for Jimmy Carter. Some say four years later that helped cost him the election against Ronald Reagan. I don't know. I didn't care about politics in 1980. I was chasing girls and footballs. But it was a costly thing. I want to tell you tonight, Jesus' death on the cross was costly. And it was for everybody. Nobody's excluded. But it's got to be acted on, just like Jimmy Carter's part. So if you're here this evening and you have never acted on the cross, when we stand in a moment, you come tonight and give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to. And we're going to be a church that's going to lift up the cross and lift up Jesus and try to love you. Come and join us. 
Christian, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to let this sink from your head to your heart. Start seeing people as people Jesus died for. Start being the person who prays and who pleads and does everything you can to help people receive that pardon while there's still opportunity. Let's stand. Whatever God may be leading you to do, we'll be down here waiting on you. You come.